tonight is from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. A man by the name of Lazarus was sick in the village of Bethany. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. This was the same Mary who later poured perfume on the Lord's head and wiped his feet with her hair. The sisters sent a message to the Lord and told him that his good friend Lazarus was sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, His sickness won't end in death. It will bring glory to God and his son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and brother, but he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Now we will go back to Judea. Teacher, they said, the people there want to stone you to death. Why do you want to go back? Jesus answered, Aren't there twelve hours in each day? If you walk during the day, you will have light from the sun and you won't stumble. But if you walk during the night, you will stumble because you don't have any light. Then he told them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep and I am going there to wake him up. They replied, Lord, if he is asleep, he will get better. Jesus really meant that Lazarus was dead, but they thought he was talking only about sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I am glad that I wasn't there because now you will have a chance to put your faith in me. Let's go to him. Thomas, whose nickname was Twin, said to the other disciples, Come on, let's go so we can die with him. When Jesus got to Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem, and many people had come from the city to comfort Martha and Mary because their brother had died. When Martha heard that Jesus had arrived, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet, even now, I know that God will do anything you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will live again. Martha answered, I know that he will be raised to life on the last day when all the dead are raised. Jesus then said, I am the one who raises the dead to life. Everyone who has faith in me will live even if they die. And everyone who lives because of faith in me will never really die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the one we hoped would come into the world. After Martha said this, she went and privately said to her sister Mary, The teacher is here, and he wants to see you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up and went out to Jesus. He was still outside the village where Martha had gone to meet him. Many people had come to comfort Mary, and when they saw her quickly leave the house, they thought she was going out to the tomb to cry. So they followed her. Mary went to where Jesus was. Then as soon as she saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw that Mary and the people with her were crying, he was terribly upset and asked, Where have you put his body? They replied, 
Lord, come and you will see. Jesus started crying and the people said, See how much he loved Lazarus. Some of them said, He gives sight to the blind. Why couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still terribly upset, so he went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone rolled against the entrance. Then he told the people to roll the stone away, but Martha said, Lord, you know that Lazarus has been dead four days and there will be a bad smell. Jesus replied, replied, Didn't I tell you that if you had faith, you would see the glory of God? After the stone had been rolled aside, Jesus looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, I thank you for answering my prayer. I know that you always answer my prayers. But I said this so that the people here would believe that you sent me. When Jesus had finished praying, he shouted, Lazarus, come out. The man who had been dead came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of burial cloth, and a cloth covered his face. Jesus then told the people, untie him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we come tonight to the the last study in uh, the Creed. And Bob, if you'll go ahead and put up our, our last line that we're looking at. When we say the creed together, we end by saying we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you've been a Christian for a while, if you've studied Christianity, this probably doesn't alarm you in any way. Every worldview is a kind of a story that makes sense of life. Every worldview has different answers to the questions of how does the story end. Our story is that it ends well. Uh, We believe in the resurrection. It's all through the New Testament. Jesus talks about it in John 5. The apostles include it every time they preach a sermon practically. Uh, Paul is shocked when the Corinthian believers don't say that they believe it. The book of Hebrews says that belief in the resurrection is one of the cornerstone beliefs of Christianity and The book of Revelation envisions a final resurrection for every believer. So the creed is very accurate, very faithful as it's been in summarizing the gospel and saying that as Christians, what we believe in is that at the end of the day, because of the work of Christ, because of the work of the triune God and what's been carried out on earth, we will live forever with God. But the creed is brief, it's stark, it's spare. It doesn't talk about what it's like to live in that hope. And and that's why I was drawn towards this wonderful story in John 11. I mean, the biblical writers are unanimous. Yes, we have hope. Yes, we look forward to the day when we will live forever with God. But they're also honest about how hard it is to live Before that, there's a tension in our hope in the resurrection. Uh, Our story does end well, but there is considerable pain and suffering and doubt and confusion along the way. Jesus is with us in it, but that's part of the story too. So I thought we'd look at this story as we end our study on the creed. Uh, 
uh, felt like a good idea to end with Jesus. Um, Mary and Martha, some of the Lord's closest friends. Lazarus becomes ill. The idea seems to be that he's seriously ill, that he's probably dying, and he, they send word in a way they're praying to the Lord who's on the other side of the Jordan. It's just a couple, a couple miles away, but it seems like forever. And then Jesus tells something to the, to the messengers that he doesn't tell the sisters. He says, now, this is really not a sickness that's going to lead ultimately to death. Uh, this is really going to lead to the glory of God. But the sisters don't really know that. And then we read one of the great non-sequiturs of the Bible. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I've always wondered about that verse. I mean, Lou, or John just makes it so not, matter of fact that it's natural that he would do this. When you think about it, if, if someone you love is deathly ill, wouldn't you do everything you could to get there? You want to be there for the last conversation. You want to uh, make sure that you can comfort them. I suppose if you're Jesus, you'd want to make sure that you could heal them. And yet Jesus just waits. And the sisters' prayers go unanswered. I think we're often in a similar place as the sisters. I mean, we believe all this stuff. There's this great line in there. Martha will say, I believe you're, you're the resurrection and on the last day that, that we'll be raised from the dead. And they've got their doctrine right. They believe it. We believe it. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. If you've been to a Christian funeral, you've heard this text preached on a hundred times. And yet, in our own life, in the parts of our own life that we need resurrection, that we need this powerful God to show up, so often we wait. And what actually makes it even more painful is that we know what He can do. We struggle because we do believe He's the resurrection and the life. We do believe He can heal our marriage or, or heal our addiction or, or, or heal our thought patterns or whatever it is. We know He can do that. And yet many of us here tonight are praying to a Jesus who's staying beyond the Jordan. He's not coming yet. Why? Why wouldn't he come to you when you ask him? Well, the story doesn't really tell us, but we get a hint. There's something about the glory of God, that Jesus is up to something that is going to bring God glory. And that's about as far as I can unravel this, is that if Jesus is staying beyond the Jordan and he is not coming into your life in the way that you'd hoped, he is not providing in the way that you'd hoped He'd provide. It has something to do with giving God glory. There's some way that in His delaying, God will receive more glory and be bigger in your life and those around you than if He immediately answered. 
I've been waiting on something, and um, yesterday morning I, I had a good block of time, and I went out on my porch, and it just was one of those times where, where I had real expectancy in my prayer time, and I was sitting in this text, and you know it was a beautiful morning, and I had all my little prayer tools. I had my decaf acid-free coffee. It's like kissing your sister, but I have it anyway. I can't drink coffee anymore. And I have my, my little journal, and the birds are chirping, and this was set up to be just the world's greatest quiet time. So I'm praying, and I just was confident. I was so hopeful that the, the Lord was going to come from the Jordan and solve, solve this thing I have going on. Because I've been waiting a long time on this one. And so I just settled in, and, and about a half an hour into the quiet time, I just had this sense uh, that he wasn't coming. <laughs> and I remember kind of thinking, you know, I must be doing something wrong here because I knew he was going to answer this. And so, you know, I went back and I read something a little different and I wrote a little bit in my journal and kind of positioned myself again. And I was ready, you know, for, for Jesus to come. And he stayed on the other side of the Jordan. And I was really frustrated with that. And... And what, what he said is, as much as I could tell, I'm going to wait because there's more glory that can come if I do. Maybe that's why you're waiting tonight. Well, he does come. And Lazarus has been, been dead four days. It's probably characteristic of my depravity that I always think of Monty Python movies when I think of <laughs> that that meant that he's really dead now after four days, but some of you are too young to remember that movie and don't go out and rent it. Um, so, but I have to redeem this somehow. The rabbis thought that three days, this, this is true, <laughs> the spirit hovered around the body and so probably what was happening here was Jesus waited until even by rabbinical thought, he was more than not quite dead, he was really, really dead. And Martha rushes out to meet him when he gets there, and he says, you know, you know Jesus, I'm just I'm really disappointed. If you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. And tells him that she trusts him. And Jesus says these wonderful words, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. He doesn't say, I will be. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that is such a wonderful promise. And again, I've probably preached that at more funerals than any other text. We believe it. It's wonderful. It almost makes it worse. Because he is saying, I don't just raise you from the dead at the end. I am alive now. I'm the God of Easter. I am exploding empty tombs and raising the dead and bringing dreams to life and, and uh, dead relationships to life and dead bodies to life. I'm doing all that even now. I am the resurrection and the life. And we've seen him do it. That's the other thing that's so amazing about that. You, you know he does this stuff. If, if you walk with God for long, you, you see him do it. And yet for you, he waited till your hope died. He didn't come. And he shows up four days late. 
And I think there's a, a beautiful little movement in Martha's heart here where she goes from lament to trust. She's honest about her grief. And yet she moves to trust. And I wonder if, if one of the reasons we don't fully appropriate the hope of the resurrection is that we don't grieve our deaths enough. I was working through something uh, once, and I was talking to a friend about it, and I, I said, I feel kind of stuck here. I don't really feel like the power of the resurrection is at work in this, and I, I don't know why. And he asked me something I didn't expect him to ask. He said, well, have you grieved it? And I remember being kind of surprised and actually a little bit taken aback because I, I've, I guess at some level I feel like a pastor shouldn't do that or a godly man shouldn't do much of that, and I've been honest with you, I struggle with melancholy anyway, and so I try to run away from that kind of stuff. I don't want to go into a hole. I don't want to get stuck. And we talked about all that, and he kept pushing, and he said, I just don't think you've, you've admitted how painful uh, th- that loss was to you. And as I did that, I began to touch the resurrection hope in it. So, Mary's turned towards resurrection. Mary hopes, Mary believes, or rather Martha believes, but she also grieves and laments and acknowledges, Lord, I'm really upset with you about this. Is there something you need to talk to the Lord about? Is is there some grieving you need to do about Maybe a little part of your life that's not turned out the way that you want to turn it out. Well, Mary comes out, and I think it's interesting. There's another sermon in this, and the way the two women deal with their grief is very different. Martha, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> Mary, I just don't even want to see him right now. I think that's helpful, too. You know, they teach you in seminary about the Kubler-Ross stages of grief and all this kind of stuff. And that's supposed to help you pastor people who are grieving and and all that. And you know what I've found? It's not true. (laughs) Everybody grieves differently. We're all different. And I've had people get frustrated with themselves because they're not grieving according to Kubler-Ross. We all, we all grieve differently. Well, so Mary's grieving differently. She comes out. She has her moment with the Lord, too. And the thing that strikes me about this is we're thinking about how do you live in the hope of the resurrection even when there's death around you now? It's Jesus now breaks down. And the words in the Greek are very, I think they're about the strongest words for emotion in the Bible. He is having an emotional breakdown as he steps into the grief of these two friends. And he knows he's going to raise them from the dead. So why isn't he some dispassionate, smug guru kind of, it's okay, daughter, wait till you see what I've got coming. It's not how he is at all. He, he's as broken as, as she is. 
the power of grief, the power of grief. I think one of the things that, that comes out of that is Jesus is with us in our disappointments. And the more we allow ourselves to grieve them, the more honest we are about our grief, the more we name it. I think that's something a good friend and a good community does. It helps us name our disappointments and grief. The more we do that, somehow the more we are open to the resurrection life of the Lord coming into our grief. You know, if, if, if I had run out and seen Jesus that day, I probably would have wanted to put a good face on it. Lord, you got this. Trust you. Following you, man of God. I would have missed him. You know what's so hard about this? Is that so often our disappointments are with other people. At least that's what my family has found (laughs) about me. But so often our relationships are our deepest disappointments. But here's the balance If you love that person you're disappointed with, how then can you name the disappointment to someone else without shaming the person you love and are disappointed with? You follow me? That's a real, that's a, Kathy isn't, let me try it again. Um, I didn't say that very well. Let's suppose you're very disappointed with your sister. And, She's done something to hurt you, and you're kind of stuck with it. But a lot of people in your world know your sister and love your sister. And you know and love your sister, and you want other people to know and love your sister. And you're dealing with grief and disappointment about your sister, but you feel like if I tell anyone else about my grief and disappointment with my sister, I will not be respecting my sister, and I don't want to gossip and slander. It's a valid tension. We don't want to gossip and slander. But there has to be a place somewhere where you can name your disappointments and grief. There's got to be somewhere where you, can, where you can do that. And that's a place that opens you up to the resurrection life of the Lord. What, what happens, I think, instead is when we get, get into these places of deep disappointment about other people in the body of Christ, is out of a genuine desire to protect them, we, um, we isolate, and we pull away, and we withdraw. And somehow we don't meet Jesus in that. Well, Jesus does, of course, arrive at the tomb where Lazarus is buried. And he asks for the great stone to be removed. He prays, and then he says, Lazarus, come out. And uh, Lazarus does. And, and it's this wonderfully triumphant scene. But, but again, there's a lot wrong with it, right? Um, I mean, uh, Jesus weeps unconsolably again, even before he raises him from the dead. Somebody has died. That's what's wrong with it. You know what else is wrong with it? He's going to die again. I've always thought if I ever wrote a play... 
Uh, it would be called the second death of Lazarus. Uh, I've always wondered, well, one, I wondered if he wanted to be dragged back here anyway. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I died, don't pray to raise me from the dead. I don't really want to come back. I wonder if he was like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? But eventually, even if he had ten more years, he dies anyway. And the other Gospels tell us that they hunted him down because he was witness to the power of Christ. So he was a marked man the rest of his life. So the Lord brought him back from heaven to run. And then, of course, Martha, ever the, you know, the Martha Stewart of her, of her day is, you know, Lord, there's going to be an odor. You know, this is, this is inappropriate. Yeah, it's, it's this great resurrection scene, but it's got yucky death stuff all, all, all over it. And, and I think that's kind of what these little mini-resurrections are like prior to the big one. Yeah. You still die. And you still stink. Can you live with that? I think we have to. I think we have to. Because it's just never going to be what you hoped. Your marriage is just never going to be what you hoped. Your career is never going to be what you hoped. This church will never be what you'd hoped. There is the stench of death around all of it. And there's also a weeping Jesus pointing us to the to the resurrection. Well, we didn't uh, have Austin read the last part, but I won't read it to you, but we'll just... Uh, <laughs> that's, we'll just wait till it goes. That's okay. <laughs> it's like one of our greatest nightmares is having that happen. All right. So here's how the story ends. We didn't read it, but it's part of the story. Okay, Jesus has done the, the greatest miracle of his entire ministry up to now. And what ought to happen is there should be a mass revival and Israel should convert and Jesus should become the, the king of the Jews. And what does happen is a week later he's dead. I think that's significant. Because on, on this side of the resurrection, what ought to happen often doesn't. What we think should happen because of what we did often doesn't. And how many of us have been derailed in our relationship with God because we did all the right things, we did everything right. And what should have happened, didn't. We might even come up with a law that says, what ought to happen, usually won't. <laughs> it, there, there is no cause and effect karma in the universe. Uh, it's just not true. The world doesn't work that way. It didn't work for Jesus. Why should it work for us?
So the creed ends by telling us that our story does end well. And it does. And we rejoice in that. And that is our faith. And we look forward to it. But in the chapters that we're living in now, it often doesn't. And there is pain, and there is suffering, and there is doubt, and there is confusion, and what ought to happen often doesn't. But in the middle of it all, the resurrection Jesus weeps with us. Let's pray.